the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Always very pleased when you plug in with us. Alan Dempsey, uh, engineer par excellent. Uh, He is doing our engineering. Uh, Andrew Herdliska is our uh, producer, puts the shows together every weekend. And our guest in the first half hour, he's in New York City. His name is Matt Perman, uh, co-founder of What's Best Next. And we're going to talk about his new book. It's called How to Get Unstuck, Breaking Free from Barriers to Your Productivity. Uh, Greetings, Matt. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, What does that title mean, How to Get Unstuck? And why was it important for you to write this book? Yeah, well, my first book was on gospel-driven productivity, and it gave an overall approach to being productive. But, of course, once you do that, the question comes, well, what do I do about obstacles? How do I navigate when things get in the way? So this book is a natural follow-up to my first book, and we all encounter obstacles. We all get stuck sometimes in one way or another. So we need to know how to get unstuck. Zondervan uh, is the publisher. Uh, the book breaks down into four distinct parts, Matt. Uh, I want you to talk about the first one, the problem and the principles, uh, and the key word here is foundations. Fill us in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we can start developing a vision for our lives and managing our time, we need to understand what God says about these things so that our solutions are based on correct principles. Because not just any solution is going to work. We have to understand the situation, and we have to understand what God wants of us. So in this first part, I look at what God has to say about time management and getting unstuck, and where do we see the Bible talk about getting unstuck? And I look especially at 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight: Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And I see being unstuck there, abounding in the work of the Lord. That's ultimately how I define being unstuck. We are abounding. We are getting a lot done. It is for the Lord. It advances His purposes. We are in the zone. But notice sometimes we are still encountering obstacles, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So sometimes things are difficult, and we need to know how to keep getting things done through those difficulties. Matt, there's a chapter in part one that intrigues me. It simply says, character, the great unsticking force. Uh, What are you writing here? Yeah, well, this is where um, I I take a, a different approach from a lot of modern time management books, which don't address character. They're just about the tactics and strategies and I'm saying if we're going to manage our time well, we need to understand character. We need to have a 
an approach that's rooted in character. And the reason is time management is ultimately about making the best decisions about how you spend your time. And our character influences the decisions we make. So the way to get good at making the right decisions about how to manage your time is to develop your character, grow in character, and then you'll have the discernment to know what's best as opposed to what's merely good. So this is a character-based approach, a lot like Stephen Covey's in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, You uh, do a chapter called Understand the Power of Vision. Uh, What are you telling us there, Matt? Well, that's so important. So once we know what the proper foundations are and what God has to say about the proper use of our time, now it's time to start figuring out where we want to go with our lives. And And this brings us to one of the first big causes of being stuck. We don't know what God wants us to do. We don't know where we're going. We don't have a large goal for the future. And this chapter on understanding the power of vision goes into why you need to have a vision for your life and how powerful it really can be. And basically, a vision for your life is a picture of the future. What do you want to accomplish with your life? Where do you want to go with your life? And what kind of person do you want to be? What principles? Are you going to live by? And I I talk about how important that is, giving examples from various realms of life. For example, in psychology, it's considered the mark of being an adult to have your stuff together like that and know where you're going in your life. But also vision is has been found to be one of the most powerful forces even to get you through suffering. So Viktor Frankl is well-known for enduring the Nazi concentration camps and then writing about his experience in the book Man's Search for Meaning, and he became a psychologist who, who helped so many people. And he asked, why did some survive the concentration camps and not others? And he looked at things like, like hard work, intelligence, health, and what he found is none of those ultimately separated those who survived from those who didn't. Those who survived ultimately had a strong sense of mission, that there was a purpose for them to accomplish in the future. And those who didn't survive tended to die from lack of hope. They didn't have a vision compelling them on towards the future. So it's very fascinating stuff. Uh, Let me just uh, reiterate that our guest is Matt Perman in New York. Uh, His book is called Unstuck. Uh, In part one, uh, Matt explained the problem and the principles. Uh, We're now in part two. Uh, The headline is personal leadership, the compass, and we've talked about understanding the power of vision. Uh, Matt, while we're in part two, uh, I want you to expand on another chapter. It's called preparation. Uh, Get the knowledge you need. Fill us in. Yeah, well, a lot of times the reason we get stuck is because we're not clear on how to do the things that we're doing, or we haven't taken the time to get really good at them. And so preparation really is key. Whether So, for example, when you start a new job, I recommend 
get the knowledge you need, learn all about the job. What are you doing? Read some of the best business books on the subject, on your industry. Talk to people who've done it before. Develop a philosophy for your position. Get really informed on what you're doing in your work so that you can be excellent. And one of the things that's cool is the reason this works. It goes down to brain science. When you become very familiar with something, then the key tasks move to the more automatic part of your brain, which, which takes less energy. And then that frees up the more conscious part of your brain to focus on the things that are more difficult and, and the more finely tuned details. And that's what sets experts apart from novices. The experts can really focus on those extra details because they got the rest on autopilot. So that's what you're really doing when you prepare. And I, I recommend doing it not only for you know new roles in your job, but also for life. Prepare for life. Understand theology. Read like Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology so you understand theology. Uh, make sure you've read through the whole Bible so that you're prepared with a thorough understanding of what God has to say. If you're a parent, read books on parenting. If you're married, read books on marriage. So you are going at these areas of life with an informed understanding and not just winging it. My guest is Matt Perman. We got another segment with Matt. And uh, when we come back, we're going to dive into part three of uh, Matt's book, Unstuck. And part three is about personal management. Uh, The key word is the clock. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend uh, right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. And uh, we always like to tell you folks that faith comes by hearing. More with Matt Perman in New York City, talking about his book, Unstuck, right after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people. They're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-518-4020. 800-518-4020. That's 800-518-4020. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are, why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God? You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. 
Welcome to PostNet. How can we help you? Okay, well, I need 2,000 business cards, 5,000 pamphlets, and 35 table signs with a fold. And I need them shipped to Miami by tomorrow. Can you help me? Of course we can. At PostNet, we offer shipping via FedEx, UPS, the U.S. Postal Service, and DHL. And we support small businesses with printing, direct mail, designing custom logos, brochures, and more. We do it all here at PostNet. That sounds great. Let's do this. PostNet, Altamont Springs at Montgomery and State Road 434. Online at PostNet.com. Here at The Word, we are proud to welcome to our Sunday morning lineup, Jack Van Impe Presents, now Sunday mornings at 8.30. And when it is fought, it will be the bloodiest battle in the history of the world. Armageddon. Start your Sunday with Bible prophecy straight from today's headlines. Join Jack and Rexella for Jack Van Impe Presents. Oh my, oh my, the leader of North Korea is so boastful. Now on your Sunday morning Word at 8.30, only on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. My guest is Matt Perman. And Matt, as advertised, uh, we've arrived at part three of your book, Personal Management, The Clock. Uh, What are the key points that you're getting across here? Yeah. Well, whereas personal leadership is about knowing where you're going in life, developing a vision for your life, being prepared with the knowledge that you need. Personal management is about making that happen because it's not enough just to know where you're going. You actually have to get there. So think of personal leadership like deciding what mountain to climb. There's lots of mountains out there in the distance. Imagine you're in Colorado and you got to decide which one you're going to climb. That's personal leadership. Now it's time to actually climb that mountain or at least first you have to plan the climb before you then do it. So you then decide, okay, what's the best route to take up to the top? How far should we go each day? What type of equipment do we need? All those sorts of things are involved in personal management. So in your life, when it comes to your life, personal management is about taking your vision and turning it into a concrete set of steps that that are going to get you there and executing on those steps. Uh, I want you to expand on this chapter. Start with your time, not with your tasks. Uh, What's the lesson here? Yeah, well, so this is counterintuitive to us. It explains why so often have you ever made a list for the day, and you get to the end of the day, and half the stuff is not done maybe not even started, and you're frustrated, or you make a plan for a project, and it just keeps taking you forever to get through it. And this is because we actually tend to start in the opposite place than we should. Usually we write out all of our tasks that we have to do and then try to do them. And the problem with that is that tasks are unlimited. And so if you start with your tasks, there's never going to be any end to it. There's always going to be more tasks to do. You'll never feel done with your work. Where we need to start is with our time, because time is limited. That's the scarcest resource, so we need to start there, not with our tasks. And that means instead of just listing everything you have to do, you look ahead, say, at your afternoon, and you say, I've got four hours to work. What can I do in this four hours? And then you identify what tasks are going to fit. That's what it means to start with your time, not with your tasks. And that simple change can be revolutionary for most people. 
Uh, while we're in part three, Matt, tell us about this chapter, Renewal, the Power of Preaching to Yourself. What's that about? Yeah, well, renewal is an important practice in productivity, and it's something we often overlook. We often think just about getting things done, getting as much done as we can. That's the productive side. And we don't think about productive capacity. We need to preserve our ability to produce and be productive. And that's what renewal is about. And there's lots of aspects to renewal, you know, taking a day off each week and things like that. But what I focus in on is preaching to yourself. And the reason is that this is something we overlook. A lot of times we're just listening to ourselves. There's, you know, the self-talk that's going on in our minds. And a lot of times that self-talk can be negative and sometimes discouraging and hopeless. And as Martin Murray Jones, the great preacher from last century, said, he said, we got to stop listening to ourselves so much and start preaching to ourselves, preaching to ourselves the right message, the one that's not hopeless, the one that's not discouraging. And you see this in the Psalms a lot. Like where it might be Psalm 40, I don't remember exactly which one, but the psalmist says, why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. You will again praise him. That's preaching. That psalmist is preaching to himself. So don't just take that automatic self-talk that's coming automatically in the background in your thinking. Be proactive to take charge of your thinking by preaching biblical truth to yourself. And now, <clears throat> let's move to part four of your book. The, okay. book. the book, by the way, is called Unstuck. Matt Perman is the author. Uh, special Obstacles, uh, the laser. What does that mean? Yeah, so to use the mountain climbing analogy, again, personal leadership, you've chosen the mountain, personal management, you've planned your climb and started your ascent. And now what's going to happen is they're going to be things in the way, unexpected things. There might be a storm that comes about while you're climbing the mountain. There might be trees that fall on your path and you got to go around them. Some equipment might fail. Things are going to go wrong. So we need to be equipped to handle these unexpected obstacles. And that's what I call the laser. It's something we can bring in to smash some of these obstacles that get in our way. And so one of the things I talk about here is just an overall approach to handling any problems. And I actually recommend the scientific method, which you probably learned in junior high or so. That actually can be a very effective practice to overcoming problems and obstacles in your life. And what you do is you just ask, okay, what's the problem? And then you say, why do I think this is happening? That's developing a hypothesis, an educated guess. And then you make some predictions based on that hypothesis. Well, if I change this or that, what will likely happen? And then you make those changes and observe what happens. And then you refine your hypothesis. And you just repeat that until you solve the problem. So there are some simple tools like that which can help us get unstuck from any obstacles that come our way. Uh, you do a chapter called A Basic Approach to Getting Unstuck from Problems. I'd, I'd like to hear about that, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's especially where I dive into the scientific method and what it can do 
for us. And it's just, it's really crucial because a lot of times when we're stuck, we don't take the time to develop the clarity on why we're stuck. So that is so important. We need to say, what's the problem here? Why am I stuck? What's getting in the way? And if you can't identify what's getting in the way, you're going to have a really hard time getting past it. So identify what's the problem, then create your hypothesis for why, why it's having the effect that it is. Make predictions, act, and observe, and you just repeat that. Uh, sometimes also what we need to know is that sometimes we just need to step away from a problem for a bit. Sometimes your mind just keeps going and going, trying to solve something, and what it needs is a break. And when you take that break, your subconscious keeps working on the problem, and a lot of times it will come to a solution. You'll experience it as a flash of insight. And then you've got the problem solved and you're able to act on it. And you've done that because you've, you've taken a break from thinking consciously about the problem and let your subconscious work on it. How about building your willpower and growing discipline? Uh, what do we learn here? Yeah, I wish I didn't have to have that chapter in here because uh, discipline is tough. It's hard. But the thing is, we're not going to be able to accomplish our goals and manage our time well without discipline. You can have the best plan for the day, but if you don't stick to it, it's not going to do you any good. Well, how do you stick to the plan that you've created? Well, discipline. It's sticking to your plan and staying focused. Now, the good news is that we can grow in discipline. Now, how do you do it? First, we need to get a bit more precise in our definition of discipline. It's the ability to make and keep commitments, such as a plan for your day or appointments you have on your schedule. Now, how do you grow in your ability to make and keep commitments? First, this is something we often skip. You got to tie. You got to tie things back to your vision. Your vision gives you the, the motivation. It's the deep burning yes that pulls you towards what you're doing because you want to do it, not because you have to do it. So, discipline without vision is just regimen and restraint. It's painful, but discipline in the service of vision that unlocks a deeper passion and motivation. So, tie your discipline to your vision, and then start small and build. You can't uh, just go out and run a marathon tomorrow if you haven't been training for it. Got to start small. Start by running a mile, then two, then three, and build up. You can run a marathon if you build up to it, if you train for it. And it's the same in our lives. We can't build discipline for the huge things in a day. Start small and build then you'll have the momentum, the lower, less discouragement, and you'll be building up your discipline muscle. Uh, this one affects everybody, Matt. Making your workspace clutter-free. <laughs> yeah. What's the story? <clears throat> so that's a fun one. I find that it's really important to have your workspace set up well. You want the key things to have... Um, fingertip access to you so that you're not spending all this time 
trying to find stuff and grab stuff. You want to have it organized well, and the stuff you use most close by that increases your efficiency and actually makes your work more enjoyable, like a cockpit on an airplane. Now, how do we do that? How do you set up your workspace or even your house like this? And I give an acronym that helps us remember the steps. And the acronym spells PLACE. And this is how to organize anything, such as your workspace or, or even your house. Place. The P stands for purge. That means get rid of the unnecessary. Get rid of the stuff you're not going to need. Purge. That's going to make everything else go better. Then the L is like with like. That's the essence of organizing. You put like things together. So purge, like with like. Then the A is access. When you have your groupings determined, you want the things you use more frequently to be in a more accessible spot. And if you use it less frequently, in a less accessible accessible spot. So, if, I mean, if you think of this in your kitchen, if there's this big pot you use only once a year for Thanksgiving, that can be at the, in the hard-to-reach cabinet above the refrigerator, whereas things you use every day, like silverware, are in an accessible drawer. And contain. Don't just let items run around loose. Use drawer dividers and other containers to keep things together. And then evaluate. Once you've organized your office or your kitchen or your house, whatever it is, step back and say, okay, how do I feel about this? Are, are there any snags, any things I need to revise, interview? That's evaluate. So those five steps spell place, and they enable you to organize anything. Uh, in closing... Overcoming the number one sticking point for new leaders. Yeah. What, what's that about? Boy, well, it's so ironic. So a lot of times you get promoted into a leadership position because you're very good at getting things done. You're a good individual contributor. You get promoted into a leadership position, and you keep doing what got you there, namely being an efficient individual contributor, and you fail. Because the thing about leadership positions is the type of work now differs. Instead of being a good individual contributor, now your role is to get work done through others. So you need to do less tasks of individual contribution and more tasks of casting vision to the team and helping the team get aligned and overcome obstacles for themselves. And if we keep focusing on our individual tasks, that's going to crowd out our time for these leadership tasks. So that's the mental shift that needs to happen for new leaders. If they don't make this shift, a lot of times they're going to fail. If they do make this shift, then you can succeed and become a great leader. Well, Matt, we've had a good visit. I think we've got a nice, thorough look at your book, Unstuck. And I'm so glad that we could catch up here. Congrats on your book, and uh, thanks a million for your time, Matt. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Matt Perman, co-founder of What's Best Next, and the author of Zondervan book. It's called Unstuck. We've got more right after this, folks, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. Uh, Stick with us. More uh, following these announcements. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.
listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Matt Perman, our guest in that first half hour, talking about his new book, Unstuck. Uh, Paul Borthwick, he's the Senior Consultant for Development Associates International, Global Christianity Teacher at Gordon College in Massachusetts. Uh, an old friend, and uh, we're going to talk about your book, Paul, The Fellowship of the Suffering. First of all, how are you doing, Paul? Nice to visit with you. Yeah, great to visit with you, Pat, after all these years. I remember going to a Sixers game with you. Yes. And I wore a Kelly Green sweater, (laughs) symbolic of my loyalty to the Boston Celtics. Well, you're a New Englander, Paul, so you you were forgiven uh, (laughs) immediately that night. I appreciate that. Uh, your new book, The Fellowship of the Suffering, the, the title's intriguing. What does that mean, Paul? Well, it's a direct quotation from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, where Paul describes his desire to know Christ. And he says, I want to know Christ. And it's like if you put a colon there, he's now going to describe what it means to know Christ. He says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, which is the part we all want, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And so the, the, the whole idea behind it is that there's a, a magnitude of fellowship with God, with each other, and even with the world that only comes through some of the hardships that we face in life. Paul, you open your book with this topic, Suffering Comes with the Territory. Uh, what are you writing there? Well, I've co-written this with a younger guy named Dave Ripper, Mm-hmm. And the the phrase comes from an interview he had with Eugene Peterson, the famous uh, writer sure. of The Message. And uh, his wife, who is a, a clinical, uh, Dave's wife, who's a clinical psychologist, was talking with uh, Dr. Peterson about the different struggles that she faces in handling other people's problems. And he says it comes with the territory. And what he meant was basically the territory of the human condition, the territory of ministering to other people, the territory of Christian ministry, engages us in either our own suffering or in the suffering of others. And so the question in the book is not answering the question, why does suffering exist? We accept the fact that it does. What do we do with it, both for ourselves and with the people around us? And that's sort of the, the introduction that all of us have some magnitude of hardship, suffering, you know, anything in our life that we would not choose, or something we would like and we don't have, all part of the issue of suffering. And then, Paul, uh, you move into the second topic, the worst suffering, and uh, uh, we call that Paul's story, right? Yeah, Dave and I decided that, you know, because people like Johnny Erickson, who actually gave a nice endorsement to the book, when they read a book like this, are they going to think we're just being superficial or trite? You know, because someone like yourself who's a cancer survivor may look at what we've been through and say, you don't know nothing yet. And yet, um, so the idea behind these two chapters, when I talk, I'm talking about, you know, that that suffering is inherently subjective. So if I'm a five-year-old and I've lost my favorite stuffed animal, I'm weeping, I'm crying, and, you know, really struggling. But if I'm a 55-year-old who just came through a third bout of chemotherapy, that kid's weeping just seems incredibly superficial because the worst suffering is my own, meaning that no matter how many people are dying of hunger 
on the streets of uh, Calcutta, India, if I have a migraine headache, I'm thinking about myself first. And I think the challenge we put forward in the next two chapters, that chapter two and chapter three, is, okay, you, the reader, can decide if we've had enough suffering to make it called suffering. And then, then the second thing is, but the issue is, are you willing to get past your own suffering to care for someone else? Like Jesus on the cross, you know, he, he, he talked about his own suffering. I thirst, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he cared for his mother. He cared for the thief. He even forgave the people who nailed him there, basically getting his eyes past his own suffering to the needs of those around him. And those, those two chapters are basically that. Dave tells his story in Chapter 3, and, uh, and also his wife's story. Uh, when she was, I think, 18, she was diagnosed with a degenerative eye disease, mm. which is progressively you know, pushing her towards the day when she might be actually, uh, actually blind. She's already declared legally blind. And, um, and, so, and they, they also went through two very, very painful experiences of trying to adopt children that actually failed. And uh, they they describe that together in that chapter. And and I love the title, "Learning to Trust Anyway." Yeah, that's a phrase out of Aaron's. Aaron gives her testimony. That's Dave's wife, and she basically said, you know, in spite of the circumstances, I've I've had to learn how to trust anyhow. And uh, in that chapter, I think Dave quotes from C.S. Lewis's um, Screw Tape Letters, the the novel about you know, imaginary dialogue between an older demon and a younger demon. And one of them says one of the most amazing things about these people of faith is that no matter what you do to them, they still trust, meaning you still trust in God. And that's what she, she she's referring to in that chapter. Now I want you to get into the fourth topic. Paul Borthwick is our guest. Uh, talking about his book, The Fellowship of the Suffering. <clears throat> InterVarsity Press uh, put the book out, by the way. Uh, the Sun Comes from the Dark, Prayer Through Suffering. Uh, tell us about that, Paul. Well, this is in the section we call Fellowship with Christ, and the idea behind it is in our sufferings, it can draw us closer to God. And prayer, using again a quotation from Eugene Peterson, Prayer is suffering's best result. In other words, when everything is going great, you know, you're, you, you don't pray as much, or at least you don't pray as fervently. And when we are suffering, we cry out to God. You know, the lamentations type of prayers in the Bible, the David, I'm being pursued by my enemies prayers. Uh, basically, suffering can can push us into the presence of God in a way that even you know, happy situations don't. And uh, one, of our, one of the pastors in our local area, Boston here, he was talking in his church about, not, he, doesn't, well, he said, when I have a need, I don't ask my friends to pray. I go to the people in our church who are battling cancer. He said, because I know that they're praying, and they just add my need to their prayer list. And it was very profound because it reminds us of the fact that, uh, you know, when we cast all our cares upon him, we know he cares for us, but we tend to do that more in the face of uh, hardship and uncontrollable circumstances. A uh, little side road here, Paul. Uh, tell me what Eugene Peterson uh, means to the cause of Christ around the world. 
Well, his greatest contribution has been really the encouragement of pastors. He's now quite senior and uh, and getting a little bit, you know, to the point he doesn't want to be interviewed anymore because of, of that. But he's had an incredible impact, especially in the uh, making the Bible accessible in the way that he did the translation called The Message. But he's done other things uh, that have been very, very profound, just to encourage pastors especially to stay faithful to their local congregation. Uh, chapter 5, Paul, Paul Borthwick is our guest. Becoming the kind of people the world needs, transformation through suffering. This is a chapter that uh, I imagine uh, should be one of your favorites because it is talking about the issue of if, if we face suffering, what's the choice that we'll make in response? You know, using that little trite phrase, suffering can make us bitter or make us better, but both are true, and sometimes both happen. But it, it, transformation is about making the choice to trust God, making the choice to rise above the situation we're in, you know, making the choice to share our faith with the people next to us in the chemo ward, uh, making the choice. I, I'm an insulin-dependent diabetic uh, for the last 24 years, and, uh, and making the choice that God's given me the opportunity to use my disease to share love and faith with people that I might, otherwise, uh, might otherwise never meet. And a lot of that in there, we talk about uh, the famous quotation from Viktor Frankl, that there's one freedom that no one can take from us, and that's the freedom to choose our attitude in any given situation. And I love to refer to Philippians 4. Paul's in prison. He says, I know how to be prosperous. I know how to be in need. I've learned the secret of being content in every and all circumstances. Now, remember, he's in prison when he's writing that, or he's at least under house arrest. He's facing his own death. But after talking about being content or learning the secret of being content, he then says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Philippians 4.13 is fundamentally about choosing our attitude in prison-like circumstances that we can't control. Now, we go to this topic, Paul. Not what I expected. Joy through suffering. Uh, what are you writing here? Again, building off of the book of Philippians, which is a short book, four chapters, but has the most references to joy or rejoicing of any book in the Bible. And Paul, again, is under house arrest, facing his own death. And uh, how can you have joy even when you don't understand what God's doing? Joy when the relationship is souring. Joy when a teenager is rebellious and not coming home. You know, what do you do with those circumstances? And we're talking here about the, the reality that there's a, a peaceful sense of calm for the person who knows that, yes, we're going through a storm, but Jesus is on the boat with us. And uh, it's really a reminder of the fact that, uh, that joy, which is not the same as happiness. You know, happiness is circumstantial. It's based on what happens. But joy can transcend the circumstance. So we hear the, the, the phrase, you know, I have joy through my tears. It's the joy of the person who's, you know, seen the gospel come to a new uh, place in the world, but their husband or wife died in the process. It's, it's a joy that God's doing something even beyond anything we can understand, and we can be at peace and 
joyful in the midst of even hard, hard circumstances. Paul, before we move on uh, with uh, Chapter 7, uh, you're a senior consultant for Development Associates International. Uh, tell us about that work. Well, Pat, when you and I first met, I was doing uh, youth work, then mission work, and then 20 years ago, I joined a group that does leadership training primarily in uh, the terminology is under-resourced world, but what it really means is Africa, Asia, Latin America. And I and others, we have a team that have people from, I think, 35 different countries. Uh, We go and meet with leaders to encourage them, especially in the area of uh, integrity and character. You know, so much leadership uh, training is about skills, which is essential. But we'd rather talk about the character of the leader, or to use a phrase that I know you'd use, the excellence of the lifestyle of the internal life of the leader. And so this year, I've, or in the last year, let's say, I've been in Bangladesh, I've been in uh, Haiti twice, I just got back from Uganda and India. Mm. Uh, and so these are the places where we're trying to come alongside leaders and encourage them, especially concerning their, uh, their own pursuits of Christ. How does your diabetes fit with your travels? Well, uh, it's not the perfect disease to travel with, I'll tell you that. But uh, because Christy, my wife, uh, has a great knowledge of nutrition and health, she's been a tremendous help. And um, basically, I, you know, take everything with me. I have a prayer team that's with me. And, uh, you know, I try, I have to watch the food that I eat. I have to watch the sleep that I get and time zones and all those other things. But if you're a little bit of an obsessive-compulsive personality, which I am, uh, as one lady at our church says, it's a terrible disease, but you're the perfect person for it because you've really got to keep track of everything all the time. But Mm. it's been a great conversation piece. Uh, I remember being in Sri Lanka, and one of the pastor's wives, who had suffered incredibly with physical suffering, she saw me take an injection, and she was just aghast because she never thought any American suffered anything. And it's actually been a great bridge for for, the, for sharing the gospel of, you know, hope in the situations that we can't solve. Paul Borthwick is our guest, author of The Fellowship of the Suffering. <clears throat> we have more with Paul right after these messages. A reminder, folks, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And you're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. More after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. 
Thank you for allowing us into your homes. We are Laureen and Tony Giorgio living with Victory Ministries, formerly Compassion Children's Foundation. We advocated for seriously ill children who are falling through the cracks. Join us for Living with Victory, a program that will help you in life storms because Jesus is your umbrella. Don't miss Living with Victory. Now heard twice on Sundays, 9.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. On 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. I had like memory foams, I had feather pillows, and I'd always wake up with neck pain. After sleeping on my pillow, I didn't wake up with the headaches, I was more aligned. I didn't realize the connection between the pillow and sleep. When I switched to my pillow, I got a better night's sleep, and I love it. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. My patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs, and it holds that support all night long to take the pressure off your shoulders and keep your neck aligned so you get the best night's sleep of your life. MyPillow is machine washable and dryable and comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and an amazing 10-year warranty. Plus, every MyPillow is made in the USA. I personally guarantee that MyPillow will be the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. And an incredible offer is going on right now. MyPillow offering 50% off their four-pack special. 50%, that's half off their four-pack pillow special. Go to MyPillow.com right now. MyPillow.com or call 800-480-1941. Use promo code WTLN. You're going to love it. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Paul Borthwick is with us. Uh, He lives in uh, the Boston area, a New Englander, no less. Uh, Paul, we have arrived at this topic in your book, The Fellowship of the Suffering. It's our family, solidarity through suffering. What's up here? Well, what, the first section is basically testimony. The second section is basically getting closer to Christ through our sufferings, knowing that He is the Lord who suffered for us. Fellowship with others is part three, and what we're talking about here is that in, a, in an unusual way, suffering binds us together in a way that almost nothing else can. You know, we've all heard that phrase, misery loves company, but there's an element of truth to it, because when we when we come into the Christian family, if all we do is keep a sort of a, a superficial smiley face on, oftentimes it keeps the, the fellowship at a superficial level. But if we're willing to share our pains with each other, if we're willing to pray with each other, we're willing to, you know, even just be sit, sitting and silent with each other, it uh, it binds us together in a way that uh, almost nothing else can. And so it's that's where the fellowship of the suffering comes into play. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, the person who is oftentimes a counselor in the AA is a person who's a recovering alcoholic. Why? Well, because they can identify with the suffering of the people they're, they're ministering to. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, God comforts us in our own afflictions so that we might be able to comfort others with the same comfort we've received from God. And so you mentioned before that I'm a type 1 diabetic. I can have a word of encouragement to a fellow diabetic that someone who's not a diabetic really doesn't have. And so that kind of thing. But also beyond that, we talk about solidarity, meaning suffering alongside of people. That's out of Hebrews where it says, remember those in prison as if you were in prison yourself. And so we need to sort of identify with our suffering brothers and sisters in Christ in places like Syria, in places like uh, some parts of China or some parts of India, 
you know, Iran, Iraq, these places where following Jesus can be incredibly costly, and that's our family. And so our suffering for them or with them is fundamentally through our prayers. Uh, I want you to talk about pain as common ground, uh, neighboring through suffering. This is an insight from my co-author, Dave Ripper, that sometimes when we suffer, when he went through this incredibly painful experience of two uh, adoptions that didn't come through, he, his, his neighbors, you know, the people that lived around him, who are not necessarily people of faith, they listened to and heard the story, and it gave a sense of credibility to Dave's faith, because they wanted to know, in a sense, how how the Christian deals with those uncontrollable circumstances, those situations which we call hardship or trials or, or tribulations or or suffering, and in a, in a similar way, um, we had several different very traumatic deaths in our own family line, and uh, some guys that I would swim with, we called ourselves the Noon Platoon. Mm. Uh, they ended up coming to all the funerals. And they listened to our testimony of going through this experience of loss. Well, one of the guys, a guy named Jack, he called me up and he said, Paul, he said, my mother's dying, and you're the only person of faith I've ever met. Mm. Would you do her funeral? You know? And so because he had seen us go through loss, he wanted us to do the funeral. And ironically, the noon platoon got me to got to hear me preach twice because Jack would later die, and the funeral home director called me to do his funeral too. Wow! But the idea behind it is, without the pain, I never would have met these people, or at least had any credibility with them. We've arrived at uh, part four of your book, uh, Paul. Uh, what's going on here? Yeah, this is one where basically I want people to understand that. Uh, the comfortable life that I live and maybe you live in, in, you know, suburban America is almost exceptional in Christian history, that many of the people who have come before us suffered greatly for their faith. Um, and this is connecting us to the world. You know, whether it's the current situation in a place like uh, Iran uh, or it's a historical situation like the British missionaries who went to Africa packing their earthly belongings in their own caskets, knowing they would never return. All those things are part of the history of who we belong to and the impact that we can have in the world. You know, I I oftentimes hear Christians say, well, I don't want to go on this short-term mission trip because it's not safe. Well, if people in the 2,000 years of Christianity made their choices based on what was safe, the gospel never would have spread around the world. They made the decision of what was right and what God wanted. And so obedience trumped, if you would, the issue of safety. Now, I'm not saying we should be stupid. And it doesn't say that, you know, don't go looking for suffering and don't go into, you know, uh, Mecca preaching about Jesus and expect to come out alive. But the reality is many of the places that most desperately need to hear the gospel are going to require people who are willing to to at least risk suffering uh, for that. And that's, I think, the not just the call today, that's the testimony of the Church over 2,000 years. Paul, I just heard uh, you use the word Trump. Is that reference to our president? or? <laughs> 
there are certain words that uh, we have to be very cautious about these days, because if I use the word huge, it's also going to sound very uh, presidential, I think. Let's talk about the seed must die to multiply uh, mission through suffering. Well, again, that's referring to the John twelve twenty four passage. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Several years ago, I was at a conference, and I was fascinated to meet a young man, maybe in his 30s, who had become a Christian out of a Shiite Muslim background in Iran. Mm. And uh, he was so excited about the Lord and about his testimony, and he had, he had actually planted five other churches in the first five years that he had been a Christian. And I was so excited to meet him. I came home. I would be praying for him and everything. Two months later, I got a notice from the organization he was connected to that he'd been taken into prison. Mm. And he and 60 members of one of his churches had been imprisoned. They would eventually be released, but he ended up spending six years there. It cost him his marriage. It cost him his health. And it was, you know, it was sort of the the balancing out, if you will, of Colossians 1.6, you know, all over the world, the gospel's bearing fruit and growing with Colossians 1.24, that in some unusual way, we who are following Jesus are participants making up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And I remember hearing a a pastor in Beijing, China, and he was an old guy, kind of stooped over, and I thought he was kind of boring, to be honest with you, but I didn't understand Mandarin, so there were four young Christian guys with me who had become Christians through English teachers' efforts, and they were listening, and at lunchtime I said to them, "That, that old man who preached, I said, is he a good preacher? And I was asking sort of the oratory question, you know, is he a good communicator, is he got some you know, good use of stories or anything like that. And they all responded the same way. Oh, he is an excellent preacher. He spent many years in prison for Jesus. Mm. And their criteria for whether he was a good preacher or not was not his oratory or his charisma. The criteria was how many years has he spent in prison. And that's that, cha- that chapter is just a testimony mostly to encourage people that God will be at work even through the things we don't understand, even the sufferings we make, even even the social rejection we might get in our own social circles by standing for for Christ and for the issues of, of the of the Christian faith. You know, be be encouraged. That's been the history. We're joining with the saints of you know Hebrews 11, uh, and in the same way, we're letting God take our faith and multiply it. Paul Borthwick has been our guest. Uh, co-author of the book, The Fellowship of the Suffering. Paul, wonderful wonderful to visit with you. Thanks for your time, and uh, congrats on your book. Thank you, Pat. Uh, We will have a wrap-up, folks, right after this, uh, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. So, stick with us, and we'll tie a nice ribbon around this show, and... uh, We've got these announcements first. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.
Are you drowning in IRS tax debt? I owe the IRS $37,000. Get ready for a toll-free hotline. Take advantage of new IRS tax forgiveness programs that may protect you from IRS collection agencies. They have the power to garnish your wages, put liens on your property, and levy your bank account. Civic Tax Relief can help protect you from the IRS. Civic Tax Relief basically represented me against the IRS, and by the time everything was completed, I didn't owe the IRS anything. Find out about the Fresh Start program that is now available through Civic Tax Relief. Civic Tax Relief's special tax hotline can help you discover all the relief programs available for free. I would recommend anyone who has a tax problem to contact Civic Tax Relief. Just call 800-210-6779. 800-210-6779. Don't wait. Call now. 800-210-6779. 800-210-6779. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us, folks, uh, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In the first segment, uh, Matt Perman was with us. Uh, talking about his new book, Unstuck. And then we uh, went up to New England, and there was Paul Borthwick, and uh, talking about the book that he has helped write called The Fellowship of the Suffering. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And I'd like you to check out my most recent book. It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. Uh, we look at Coach Wooden and his summer camps for youngsters that he he oversaw and he uh, taught and he coached for, I mean, many, many years. And uh, we have uh, gotten a totally different look at Coach Wooden. You'll uh, have a good time with this book. Uh, go up to Amazon. Good way to order books. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, this is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.